You're listening to the Inside Study Abroad podcast, episode number 13. Welcome to the Inside Study Abroad podcast. I'm your host, Brooke Roberts. In this show, we explore the world of international education and meaningful travel with some fascinating guests, a little friendly debate, and a whole lot of practical advice. Let's get going. Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. I'm so happy that you're spending a little time with me here on the podcast. I cannot believe it's January and it's halfway over (laughs) and the inauguration is tomorrow. Cue scary music. Just kidding. But maybe not. But I do have a lot of concerns, I think, as a lot of my colleagues do, about the new administration that's taking office tomorrow. And I just know that even with all of my trepidation and concern, I the only thing I control is myself. And so I know I'm doing my part locally here in the Kansas City area to make sure my voice is heard and that my representatives know my opinions and perspectives on things. I've literally got my senators and congressional reps on speed dial. So I hope that you will do the same. But Before we jump into today's episode, I want to share a little bit about today's sponsor, Teradata. As you guys know, Teradata is a leading software company serving the international education field, providing flexible, web-based enrollment processing and application management software solutions that streamline everything for both students and administrators. It sounds like magic, right? So head on over to teradata.com to learn how you can join over 500 universities using their solutions for their offices. And let them know that Inside Study Abroad sent you. One quick announcement before I jump into today's episode. Next week, I'll be hosting a couple of free trainings all about launching a global career and positioning yourself for your dream job. And I'll also be opening the doors to the Global Pro Institute next week as well. So stay tuned for that. But you have to be on the newsletter to get those in. So make sure you go over to InsideStudyAbroad.com slash subscribe to get on the list. Okay. Now for today's guest, I am chatting with Wagaya Johannes. She's the project director for the IIE Generation Study Abroad Initiative. She has over 15 years experience in global program management with a focus on leadership development, social entrepreneurship, cross-cultural exchange, and international affairs. This is actually the first time I met Wagaya um, after attending the IIE Summit in DC last fall. I got to chat with her a little bit there and we set up a time to talk all about the Generation Study Abroad Initiative and really get into how it got started, where we are now in terms of reaching that 600K moonshot goal of doubling study abroad by the year 2020. And we get into the best strategies for doubling study abroad participation, as well as some of the biggest barriers and hurdles that are facing organizations today in terms of reaching that goal. So let's go to the show. Hi, Wagaya. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks. Um, it's great to be here. So we both just got back from IIE, where you uh, did an amazing job putting together the summit with your team. Uh, It was my first summit that I got to attend, and it was was really, really impressive. I actually had a chance to sit on quite a few different sessions and people talking about a myriad of issues. So hopefully we'll get a chance to get into some of that stuff. But let's start with telling everyone who you are, sort of what's your international education story, background, sort of how did you get to where you are today? Great, thank you, and I'm so glad that you could attend this summit uh, in Washington, D.C. So my background in my international education story actually begins with my parents. Um, My father is from Ethiopia and was an international student in Utah, and my mother was a German immigrant in Utah, and they met um, and things went from there. 
when I got to college, I knew I wanted to study abroad. I applied for a program in Austria, actually, through Beaver College at the time. Mm-hmm. But I didn't get any financial aid from Mount Holyoke College um, to to actually use it for study abroad. Um, but then I contacted someone at Beaver College and learned about the field of international education. And when I graduated, I decided to uh, volunteer with IAE in our West Coast office. And it kind of spiraled from there. So what age were you volunteering at that point? I was a recent college graduate. Okay, so very recent. That's very cool that you sort of discovered it very early on. And so for those people who don't know what Beaver College is, it's now Arcadia University. I'm right on that, right? I think so, Okay, yeah. I was like, I think I'm pretty sure. So Arcadia is uh, both a university, but also a pretty prominent study abroad organization as well, sort of like an IFSA Butler situation. So that's really cool. So what was your experience like in Austria? Well, I didn't actually get to go to Austria on the classical study abroad um, journey. Um, Rather, I still wanted to do something international as an international relations major. And so through personal connections, I found an internship at an American university in Japan. So I spent a summer in Japan working with Japanese students. um, And that was sort of my non-credit uh, study abroad, if you will. Right. Um, and in 1996, that was probably less popular than it is today. <laughs> um, but that was sort of my study abroad experience in undergrad. And then I eventually did my graduate school in Holland at the University of Amsterdam. Okay, cool. And so what, what was your focus in grad school? International education, but a specific focus on concepts of citizenship and integration of third country nationals in the European Union. Very fascinating. (laughs) That's great. Um, So let's fast forward a little bit. So how did you find yourself now in the role of sort of spearheading this effort at IIE with Generation Study Abroad? And we'll get into Generation Study Abroad in a minute, but how did you get now to where you are? So I've been with the Institute for about um, 15 years now. And about three years ago, I was in a different department, but working a little bit across the Institute on collaborations. And this was one IAE initiative that sparked my interest. And then I decided to work um, with Daniel Obst, who at the time Mm -hmm. was still at the Institute, on developing it further Mm -hmm. um, throughout the organization. And having been a study abroad advisor on a campus and being passionate about it, uh, it seemed like a natural fit. And we started and it has blown up since then. I wish I had been a fly on the wall back then, you know, when the er very early stages at IIE, when GSA was sort of just being considered and sort of that initial sort of somebody threw out an idea, I'm guessing around a a table or in a meeting or something. How did it get started? What was that initial conversation like? That that's exactly right. Someone threw out an idea. Um, Alan, our president and Daniel Opes were tossing around an idea. It's sort of, circulated to more people, we tested it out, and then we kind of went from there, setting targets um, for how we were going to reach our goal. Right. And when you say you tested it, what did you do to sort of test the idea? Um, Well, we talked obviously with our board, Mm -hmm. um, who are strong supporters of the initiative, and talking to various colleagues that work on outbound programs within the Institute and have strong study abroad backgrounds to see if something like this could take a hold, um, 
And from there, we said, well, let's try it. We had the full support of our board. And I think we really wanted to see, we needed to do something to really change the national conversation and move it to the forefront. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially, IA is going to be 100 years old in 2019. And when we were founded in 1919, it was with a vision to send more Americans abroad to increase diplomacy and people-to-people exchange. Mm-hmm. And now that we're almost at 100 years, we said, well, you know, we're doing a lot around the world, but what else is it that we can do for Americans and really get them to have that global mindset? Right, right. In sort of researching for this episode, I, you know, was reading through all the documentation around Generation Study Abroad, trying to understand sort of really its impetus and looking at the way it's described, you know, the the concept of doubling participation by 2020. And from what I could tell, based on when Generation Study Abroad was sort of established as an initiative, the numbers then were about 300,000. And so to double that, we get to about 600,000 by 2020. Is that is that how you guys frame it internally in terms of the number you're trying to hit? So we do have a baseline of 300,000. And so we decided to set a moonshot of doubling. Um, it's not going to be easy. Right. Um, and if you look at the numbers, you probably need the double digits of annual growth rate. But we are committed to doing everything, um, and you know we don't know unless we try. Mm-hmm. Right. So if when you guys are breaking down Generation Study Abroad to sort of like fill, you have this one bucket you're trying to fill. What were sort of the different streams you were going to employ to f- sort of fill that bucket? Are there different strategies around Generation Study Abroad to to get to that moonshot? Yes. So at the early stages, we set out sort of. Target. So one, we needed, we can't do this ourselves. So we said, we're going to put out a call to action to the higher education community and set a target of 500 higher education institutions to join. We also then said, well, we can't just start with higher education. We need the entire education community. So we then set out working with the K through 12, with teachers and administrators and with the language community. At that point, a lot of international universities and partners got very much interested. And we said, well, look, if we actually do reach our goal, we need institutions really to build their capacity to host these students, and not only in Europe, but around the world. So then we invited international universities to join, as well as country partners who see this as a way to increase their profile and visibility to Americans. And the third prong is really focusing on study abroad alumni. Um, They are the true champions and as well as faculty, really as individuals to be able to share their story one-to-one with younger people and to get them involved. Right. Very interesting. So being involved in international education, there's definitely been a little bit some criticism of the concept of just doubling the numbers, right? And and one of the primary criticism I've I've heard from people is that by focusing purely on the quantity of individuals having these experiences, that it might have to sacrifice the quality of these experiences. And quality, mm-hmm. obviously, is a very touchy, not touchy, but um, maybe a, a, a subjective um, point mm-hmm. of view about what a quality international experience can look like. Was that an issue you guys thought about when you were first considering the concept? And, and then how have you addressed sort of some of those criticisms? 
Yeah, well, quality is very important. And I think, you know, through this initiative, and I think the field in general has been looking at the different learning outcomes that different types of study abroad can provide students. You know, there are students that will still have the one year classical language immersion program, but more and more students, especially students that may not have that luxury to take here abroad, we need to be more inclusive in the types of programming that's offered, whether it's faculty-led, whether it's the non-credit. And for a lot of Americans, you know, this might be the first experience going overseas, and then they'll come back and be more confident to do a semester overseas or figure out a way to do a graduate degree overseas. I think we need to be a little bit more inclusive of the types. Um, Mm -hmm. And granted, the different learning outcomes is very important. And quality, I think, for IAE has always been there. But we really want to focus on building momentum and figuring out a way so that study abroad is actually understood by, let's say, high school students, their parents, and why it's important so that they can then embrace it as part of their engineering degree, part of their education degree. Um, So it's not one or the other, but it's a compliment. And I do have to say, you know, there are a number of organizations out there, the forum, um, focusing on the standards, um, NAFSA, and, you know, that's always going to be important, especially nowadays with all of these disruptive events at mm-hmm. home and abroad, having those things in place are very, very important. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, and I think that's uh, that's really great. And it's definitely a subject that was touched on at the summit this past week in, in Washington, D.C. And I, I found it very interesting going to some of the different sessions where people were talking about utilizing different programmatic models or structures of a program to one better achieve those learning outcomes that we're aiming for in different types of programs, but also to then make the options that are available to students much more diverse so that a more and more diverse. And I'm not even just meaning racially diverse, but a more diverse set of students could actually participate in these programs. One of the things that I thought was really interesting, there was a session, I believe, and I I think I was late, sadly, (laughs) so I missed a little bit of the session, but they were talking, too, about the concept of what about these, like you, um, went on a non-credit-bearing program, not program, but an opportunity abroad, and and how do we account for those experiences that are probably, in a lot of ways, very meaningful and, and have some learning outcomes, even if they weren't structured on a syllabus somewhere? What is IIE or Generation Study Abroad? What's your goal with those mm-hmm. types of experiences, or do you have a, an intention of including those in sort of this larger mission? Right. No, absolutely. And so, you know, it's always the definition of what is study abroad. And so we are using the forums definition that they've put in their glossary, and it really accounts for activities, um, non-credit or credit, but have some sort of educational component as part of a student's degree. And so we, this past year, actually undertook a study of how institutions, well, one, are institutions actually collecting non-credit data? And if so, how are they doing it? And so we published a report um, and it gets to interesting findings um, where there are many institutions that are not collecting it, but they wish they could. Mm -hmm. And so we're beginning to delve a little deeper and look at methodologies. And our research team is looking at that and looking with higher education institutions to see, can we really collect this data? Um, 
just to see in terms of mobility where students are going. Right. Um, right. And with open doors, non-credit is actually counted um, as long as the university is including it. Right. Yeah. And, and that's a really interesting conundrum, I would call it, for universities. And I think obviously every university is going to tackle this differently. But I know when I was running study abroad at the University of South Dakota, it it was a very touchy topic for us, sort of those non-credit bearing students going to abroad, because the moment we sort of engaged with the student, there was always this concern about the liability, therefore, yes. that we took on because we gave them any sort of advice or any sort of support that therefore there was this detachment like, oh, they're going off and doing their own thing. It's not really through us, but we still want them to feel supported. Yet, if something goes wrong, now are we liable? And it, it, it's, Absolutely. A, and it's a really, it's a whole other topic, obviously, but it's, it's really it challenging. Is, but I think it gets to the point, it is an institutional commitment. So if it's in the institutional mission, you know, to develop global citizens, um, the institution needs to redefine what it means by study abroad. And granted, not everyone can go study abroad, and that can be part of internationalization at home. But if campuses are being more inclusive, let's say, of non-credit and willing to you know, do the risk management and work across campus to make it happen. It is possible. Right. And I, I think another layer to this, too, is the branding of Generation Study Abroad is, I think, really interesting if the, using the term generation, right? We always talk about generational divides or generational issues, Gen, Gen Y, Gen X, Gen Z, you know, all these concepts of how we label people and having Generation Study Abroad. I think it's really interesting because, you know, you think about those students who are going, at, like you, who sort of said, oh, i I had this connection. I, you know, did all these things and you made something happen. Gosh, that's the kind of initiative that we really want to champion in students that the ability to sort of make something happen on their own and not have to be handheld through a process necessarily and really try something and, and test out the waters and maybe even fail, you know, it's okay to fail. And so it's really interesting. I always find that concept of liability issues and needing to really be there for the student for a lot of reasons, but then also wanting to nurture that level of independence and self-sufficiency, if you will. They tug at each other, I think, uh, in a controversial way. And they, they do, and I think for students, even I myself, as a you know international ed professional, professional, when I'm asked the question, "Did you study abroad?" I'm not sure what to answer. Right. Um, Because yes, I did, but you know, maybe I wasn't counted. Um, You know, my career office knew about it. I don't know if the study abroad office knew about it. Mm -hmm. Um, But if I myself, you know, don't identify as a study abroad alum, you know, what does that do then as I move on in my career? Right, Um, right. So we need to get students to also think about like, no matter what type you're doing, you know, you are part of generation study abroad and you can then, you know, learn, learn to articulate what you learn from it and inspire others to do it. Right. You know, it's really interesting to bring that up. I just was at, I flew from IIE, went straight to the NAFSA uh, region four conference in Springfield, Missouri. And I was chatting with a woman there who I think her title is coordinator of study away. And one of the things she asked me was, um, she's sort of a young new, new professional. And she said, you know, I, I talk to people and I say, Oh, you know, I work in the study away office. And they sort of look at me 
me like, what? Like, they don't, <laughs> like, what, what do you mean? It's study away, you know? And I, I just found it really interesting. She said, yeah, well, I tell them, you know, oh, we also do sort of domestic cross-cultural programming uh, mm-hmm. that sometimes like, oh, well, that's, you know, there's definitely some people out there who would say, oh, well, that's not study abroad. And it's not, you don't, you're not leaving the borders of your defined nation, but you are, they, there are plenty, many opportunities in, in countries around the world to get some really in-depth cross-cultural learning and, and experiences where you don't necessarily need a passport. What about those types of experiences? Is there any discussion about including that into this larger theme of creating global citizens? Mm-hmm. I think that's an important part. And I mean, the United States is huge. So, you know, even spending time on the East Coast or in the middle or on the uh, West Coast um, is in a way in an own study abroad experience. Mm-hmm. For Generation Study Abroad, though, we are really focusing focusing on a student that gets a passport and right. actually transverses um, a continent or south of south of the border, north of the border, um, to to have that experience. Um, because I think that also um, for personal growth, one then is one gets the sense is what type of you know am I American? Maybe right. I've never been viewed as American before, but now I'm holding my U.S. passport. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, through Generation Study Abroad, we really hope that many more people get that passport. We have partners that are focusing on that mm-hmm. and actually then go overseas. Right. So one of the thing, you know, it's been a year and you did some updates at the summit, but if you could tell my audience who wasn't there and didn't get to sort of hear all the great initiatives that have happened and the progress you guys have made, where are we now? So that goal, that moonshot goal of doubling, what's our status as of right now? Right. So we launched actually in March, 2014. So we're about two and a half years. Oh, in. Okay. Two and um, a half. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Time flies. Yeah. Um, and so we now have a network of about 740 partners. Wow. That goal was blown out of the water. Yes. 400 of them are U.S. colleges and universities from 48 states who really reflect um, the diversity of the types of institutions who have joined. So we have community colleges, large, large research universities, Um, liberal arts colleges. And at the summit, we announced 12 uh, partners, 12 U.S. higher educations have actually met their goal early. Uh, Some are community colleges and again, some are large research universities. Uh, So with that, we want to say that it is possible to set a goal and um, actually reach it. And so I think these 12 colleges set an example And um, we hope others will be inspired to join because we do need more U.S. colleges and universities to join the initiative if we're really going to get to the double digits of um, annual growth rate for study abroad. Right. When you talk about those institutions, did they all commit to doubling or did they, you know, commit to their own level of growth that they felt they could meet? It's, it's a combination. So to double or to significantly expand, whether that means reaching new populations. So each of them is a little different. And I think the way they've done it is also a little different and hopefully will inspire others to think of ways that maybe they'll be able to do that on their campus. Right. Do you guys have like a report or a blog post or something where you sort of summarize those different institutions and then the, the way that they went about achieving whatever goal they set? Yes, our website will be listing all of them out, um, sort of high level, um, and then we'll 
probably be doing a series of webinars to highlight them and give folks an opportunity to ask them any questions. Well, and I think that'll be a really interesting list or database of uh, tactics that you can start pulling out from different institutions and start giving people some ideas. That list, I think, is going to get really robust with the different strategies and and very tangible tactics that a university could be like, okay, we can double, but what can we do? And then there'd be this great list that people can go to to say, okay, that's a really effective tactic. Exactly. And then just to continue, so in addition to U.S. higher colleges and universities, we have about 200 international universities and partners from 50 countries that are offering funding, um, new programming and resources for students to come to their countries, um, as well as more than 100 study abroad organizations and K-12 through Um, that are, I think, focused more on building awareness Mm -hmm. and also supporting colleges and universities to help meet their goals. Right. And there were definitely some sessions also talking about that pipeline effect of getting students sort of interested, engaged with this concept of global citizenship or being international, planting that seed early on so that they're more prepared with this concept uh, in mind when they go to college, which I think is really powerful. I know that happened for me. So uh, I know I'm at least one anecdotal case study that 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 definitely works. (laughs) (laughs) No. And then we've published actually two books, a student guide to study abroad that we are giving out to the K through 12 community, especially to teachers who have Pledge to be advocates of study abroad and planting that seed early, as well as uh, working with parents. So we have a parent's guide to study abroad, also translated in Spanish. Again, parents are often either the champions or the obstacles sometimes Mm. for students. And so getting that out there as well. Right. I love that. So you've sort of touched on it a little bit, but how are you guys feeling internally within the Generation Study Abroad team at IAE? But how are you feeling about the initiative so far? And you mentioned needing more university partners for sure. But what other what other things could help move the needle in a really big way? What kind of partnerships are you guys looking at? Sort of what's the what's the next stage of this for you guys? Mm-hmm. Well, internally, and especially right after the summit, I think, you know, we are hearing that people are inspired, um, they're uh, willing maybe to take new risks um, at the organization or their campus. And so through that, we in turn are inspired um, to kind of bring these best practices together and um, really see what we can do as a network, um, because collectively we can do so much more than individually. Where I think we need um, help in order to reach our moonshot are one more higher education institutions to make a pledge and a target. Um, secondly, external financial support. So, um, looking at foundations and others to, uh, provide funding for students to go study abroad. Um, and third gets a little bit to the branding perspective book that you had mentioned. Um, Part of Generation Study Abroad and one of the benefits to joining Study Abroad is to get sort of a media packet, a badge, and really beginning to have sort of the same conversation and talking points um, about why Study Abroad is so important nowadays, um, that it helps you personally, it helps with academic success, it helps you um, on the job market, um, all of these things. Getting through that common branding, I think, will also help us move the needle forward if 
as we talk to the cab driver, as we talk to someone in the elevator, we're saying this is why it's important and this is why you should know about it right. and tell someone to do it. Right. So it's almost like we need a, a talking points uh, <laughs> sort of cheat sheet that everybody has and has the, the standard stats, the standard sort of learning outcomes that we're you're going for so that we're all sort of quoting from the same same uh, crypt sheet. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And I think we've begun to do this. I know since we've launched, I've gone to different conferences um, and I feel we're speaking at least from the international ed study abroad community, the same language, which is huge. Mm-hmm. And so now as we go out and into other industries and, and whatnot, that hopefully we can begin to kind of have that spiral effect. Right, right. So one one of the other question I wanted to ask you was, you know, we talked about institutions becoming members, teachers becoming advocates, those types of things. If somebody's out there right now going, okay, but I don't, we don't have the money to join, you know, quote, join all these things. What does it cost financially for people to get involved with Generation Study Abroad? Mm-hmm. Uh, the answer is nothing. I need uh, that. So, <laughs> I just wanted to say. What we're really looking for is a commitment, um, a commitment from an organization at the leadership level saying we're going to do X, Y, Z, which will help get to the greater goal of Generation Study Abroad to double. And that's either, you know, contributing financial dollars um, to maybe your local community for scholarships. Is it designing new programming? Is it um, holding sort of a Generation Study Abroad gathering in your community? I mean, there are a number of things that someone can do, and we're really looking for folks to be creative, um, especially if you're not just a higher education institution, um, since you may not be able to double, right. um, but there are many, many other things that you can do. Um, as an individual, um, I think you know social media is where all Generation Z is, uh, or the millennials. And I think being able to do something innovative on social media using the hashtag Generation Study Abroad, um, we ourselves have launched a social media campaign with Go Overseas, trying to get alumni to pay it forward. Um, but there are probably a lot of creative other things that we can do online and going to where students actually are. Right. And I, and I would say, too, for individuals and a very like I work with a lot of people trying to break into international education. And it's a very, you know, it's a very challenging process um, sometimes and very competitive to sort of break in. And I'm always helping people who are typically study abroad alumni, too, uh, that one of the ways that they can sort of set themselves apart and really showcase their commitment, not just their passion. Like, Oh, I studied abroad. Mm-hmm. I have a passion, but exactly. showcase their commitment as a, prof- as an aspiring professional is that they can support initiatives like this or others that might be out there and do it on a, on a micro level. It doesn't mean you have to go to NAFSA and do this giant mm-hmm. presentation. You could reach out to your high school that you went to and offer to do a, how to study abroad in college workshop, you know, or something like that. And maybe 10 yes. students, come but now one they have something cool on their resume to talk about how they're taking their role as a aspiring professional seriously but two they can also get and showcase that they're supporting initiatives like this and even in a small way in their world that you know frankly I'm, I grew up in a, a rural area of Kansas and I'm, I'm pretty sure there's not a lot of people from IIE thinking oh how do we get into Labette County High School right but I have that connection and so I personally could support the initiative by doing that and I think 
on an individual level, people don't realize that they can actually have a really cool impact where organizations like IIE probably just don't have the reach yet. Yes. And I think, you know, I look at AFS and AFS has a cadre of volunteers out there and Mm -hmm. they're great ambassadors for exchange and study abroad. Um, And to your point, Brooke, if every study abroad alumni went back to their high school um, or in their college and university and, and talked about their experience, um, not only talk about it to inspire, but, you know, how, how to do this, how to make it possible. Um, I think we can probably make a good headway into our, into reaching our goal. Right. Yeah. That's really exciting. Well, Wagaya, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This is really fantastic for anybody out there who uh, wants to connect with IIE. I'll be linking up everything below in the show notes over on insightstudyabroad.com. And thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Wagaya. If you'd like to connect with her, you can find her on LinkedIn, and I'll have links to that, plus everything else we talked about this episode in the show notes over at InsideStudyAbroad.com. Of course, if you'd like to connect with me personally on Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat, you can find me as The New Dorothy. And before I share who's coming on the show next week, I want to thank Teradata for being such a great sponsor of the last few episodes of the podcast. If you want to learn more about how you can bring your office out of the paper age and into the digital age, head over to teradata.com and learn how you can make your application and student management systems work for you. And let them know that Inside Study Abroad sent you. Next week's guest is Ethan Knight, founder of Carpe Diem Education and the American Gap Association. Ethan and I talk about all things high school study abroad, the rise of gap programs in the U.S., and building something from the ground up. You don't want to miss it. I'm also, as I said before, I'm hosting a couple of free trainings next week all about growing a global career. So make sure you subscribe to the Inside Study Abroad email list to get those announcements next week. Until next week, do something adventurous today. Bye for now.